There is a relative lot we understand about our ancestral origins. With the increase of how much we can learn from DNA research testing, in addition to just the sheer number of how many people are curiously getting their own genes peeked at, thirsting for the knowledge of what might be unlocked about their own stories, scientists are able to gain so much more insight into a long-forgotten past. And truly, there is something tantalizing about shining a light on the steps that have brought us to where we are in our journey so far, and what answers and what questions they uncover. Welcome, I'm Rocket Fox. Join me as we embrace the strange. Things that we know at this point about our great, 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 well, you get the idea, grandparents from way back in the day, is that there was a fair amount of mixing going on between species when it came to the ancestors of what would become, well, us, and the populations of what are known as archaic humans, such as Neanderthals, Denisovans, Rhodesiensis, and more that, I'll be honest, until researching the story, I'd never heard of. As with many animals in the natural world that are decidedly not humans, different areas tended to be populated with different, well, populations. Remember, this was long ago before today's modern humans, i.e. us, had spread literally everywhere. That being the case, Researchers are able to use things such as fossils, artifacts, and studies showing large pockets of genetic remnants filtered down through generations of people to see who used to hang out in which neighborhood, where they migrated to, and so forth. With this basis of information, scientists know that ancient Europeans had a lively dating scene with Neanderthals of the time, while native Australians, Polynesians, and Melanesians spent some personal time with Denisovans. All in all, it's really fascinating. Personally, I love knowing more about my past from a personal family standpoint, as well as from a broader humanity and historical perspective. However, as interesting as that is, it's not exactly strange. No, no, that's where this next bit of info comes in. As I said, with more information comes both more answers and more questions. One of these questions came with a study done in the beginning of 2020 that peeked into the genomes of various communities in West Africa and found genetic traces of an archaic human population. It wasn't from Neanderthals or Denisovans or any of the others that I previously mentioned. It turns out, it wasn't from any that scientists had seen. The lead researcher, who hails from the University of California in Los Angeles, Sriram Sankararaman, who is a computational biologist, said that of the West African populations they studied, quote, 
all have ancestry from this unknown archaic population. When they compared these genetic findings to those of other known archaic humans from back in the day, they were able to say that these were definitely different. Interestingly, though, other than their genetic remnants, they didn't seem to leave a trace. No fossils or DNA of their own. For all intents and purposes, they are ghosts. I won't lie, that is one of the things that drew me to the story initially. Still, the impact they left is very real. Sankararaman shared that of the four modern populations they studied, two groups hailing from Nigeria, one from Sierra Leone, and one from Gambia, 2 to 19% came from this ghost ancestry. So, who were these people? The scientists estimate that this particular archaic human split from the line of the common ancestor to the Neanderthal and modern human somewhere between 360,000 and 1 million years ago, then started putting down genetic roots in West Africa starting within the past 124,000 years. Of course, as with many instances in reality, Things are far less clear-cut, and Sankararaman shares that it is definitely possible there could have been a few offshoots of archaic humans that weren't any of our known types that integrated into modern human populations at various times over the course of thousands of years, which is probably more likely than a one-time mass-dating event. Either way, I think that anthropologist John Hawks of University of Wisconsin-Madison, who wasn't involved in the study, but just seems to be a huge fan, says it best when saying that, quote, It's an exciting moment because these studies open a window showing us that there is much more than we thought to learn about our ancestors. And I would have to agree. Well said, John Hawks. Well said. The next tale I have for you this week is that of an unusual ancestry discovery that could have easily remained hidden in history, but for the curiosity we have for our stories. I'll show you what I mean. As I mentioned in the opening, with the accessibility and interest in home genetics tests, people are finding out so much more about their origins, ancestry, genetic makeup, and some long-held family secrets and surprises that, before this era, never would have seen the light of day. Sometimes, these secrets come in the form of discovering who is related to who. A father that is not a father, an aunt who is really a mother, a cousin who is a sister, being related to no one in the immediate family at all. It's a daytime television talk show cornucopia of content. However, for this story... The surprise came in the revelation of origin. Doreen Isherwood, a fair-skinned blonde woman in her 60s, lived in Putney. Uh, for the non-Brits among us, 
a district in the southwest of London. And although she had studied at the University of North Carolina, she came from a long English line, Lancashire cotton weavers, to be exact. It was 2007, and the itch came to try out one of the DNA ancestry testing companies that she'd been hearing about. An itch I completely understand, as I have definitely felt the call of my genetic curiosity. When sending her kit in, Doreen expected the results to be interesting and fun, perhaps ties to some of the UK classics, Anglo-Saxons, Scandinavians, and the like. What she received, however, was a little more interesting than even she expected. It turned out that the analysis results from her test showed her that her DNA ancestry shared characteristics with that of Native Americans. Doreen, who, it comes as no surprise, is incredibly interested in tracing her family lineage, had already tracked down her maternal line back to 1798, with no trace of the mysterious ancestor, so her appearance would have had to have been prior. And indeed, it would have been her, because the type of DNA test that was taken was based on information gleaned through the mitochondria. For a really quick reminder, I definitely needed it, mitochondrial DNA, or mtDNA, is passed essentially unchanged from mother to daughter, but does begin to mutate over a number of generations. In instances like the DNA test kits, the company researchers use the mutations to track geographic changes over time, or, basically, the mtDNA's geographic origin. Slash Doreen's great-great-great-great-great-great-great, you get the idea, grandmother. It was an unusual enough occurrence that Professor Brian Sykes, who runs Oxford Ancestors, and the company Doreen used to track her DNA, remarked how unusual the occurrence was, saying, quote, most of the people we test belong to one of the European maternal clans. That said, this is a stark reminder that there were others who came, and were brought, to England. Through the 1500s, Professor Emeritus at Columbia University, Alden Vaughn, shares that, quote, a number were brought over, mainly as curiosities, meaning Native Americans. There were others who were brought as translators, and later in the 17th century, there are London ads that call for the return of Native American bond servants who had gone on the run. It completely stands to reason that some of these individuals would have had children somewhere along the line. Few enough that only Doreen and one other woman, Anne Hall of Huddersfield, were the only two who had returned these results from the Oxford ancestry. Of course, as more people have taken the consumer DNA tests, the companies have had more information to compare, well, to everyone's information, and it seems that the results aren't an exact science, per se, by which I mean your DNA isn't going to have a label on the back that says, made in Germany with 20% Italian blend. It's more about comparing the DNA to other known sources and coming to an understanding based off of that. Still, 
it brings to light a very real and important piece of history that needs to and should be remembered. Doreen spoke that she was, quote, immensely proud of her newfound heritage. And I think that there's something profoundly meaningful about having a personal connection to an origin story such as this. But even for the rest of us, without a personal connection, I think a story like this humanizes and brings into the present a piece of the past that is sometimes easy to overlook. And that, for me, is some of the greatest value in discovering our origins. this week, I have for you the story of how DNA put to bed a misrepresentation of a singular badass ancestor that I simply am excited to share. As many of you, my loves, will be unsurprised to find out, even in the world of science, sometimes people can get waylaid by their own biases and cultural ideas, especially when it comes to the roles of ancient men and women. Shocking, I know. However, this was indeed the case over a particular set of remains discovered in 1878 in a decked-out tomb on the Swedish island of Björko. Now, I remember excitedly hearing for the first time that Viking warrior remains had been unearthed that had turned out to be that of a woman. It made perfect sense to me. The culture that brought you Valkyries, of course, would have some badass ladies in it. It seemed, however, that not all had picked up on the memo and had such an easy time accepting such developments. Let's go back to the tomb I mentioned a moment ago. This wasn't just a small wooden box or an empty crypt. No, when this final resting place was first cracked open, it was immediately considered to have been someone of rank and esteem. The person lying among a veritable treasure trove of weapons, beautiful clothing, and two horses. Immediately the thought was, it was an elite fighter, a noble warrior gentleman. The original team, however, began to have questions. Based on the structure of the skeleton, the researchers published in 2017 in the American Journal of Physical Anthropology that the individual was likely a woman, a claim that raised an unexpected storm of criticism that ranged from, well, the goodies might have belonged to the woman's husband, to the researchers might accidentally have analyzed the wrong skeleton. Mm-hmm. Two years later, however, the team went on record in Cambridge Antiquity saying women Vikings were female warriors alongside their male counterparts. And, to shut the naysayers up once and for all, they did a DNA test on the skeleton, which proved, without a shadow of a doubt, 
that the remains were indeed that of a double X-chromosomed individual. Aside from just shoving it in someone's face who had it coming, this genetic confirmation is also very cool because, as Professor Matthias Jacobson notes, quote, this is the first formal and genetic confirmation of a female Viking warrior. One other interesting point brought up in the article that, believe it or not, seems to be an argument that was proposed toward whether the remains belong to a, quote, man or, quote, woman, was the difference between sex and gender, how they are not mutually exclusive, and how it could be problematic applying contemporary understandings of terminologies and the baggage they hold to our ancestors. In short, people are starting to ask the questions of whether or not warriors in the past would have considered themselves men or women, and while by the critics this might have been an attempt to discredit the idea of a, quote, woman Viking warrior, I actually think this is a wonderful question to be asking. The remains belong to someone with two X chromosomes. That is not up for dispute. But realizing that there are more nuances and that we have to take more care in applying our filter to different times and cultures, I think is the exact place we want to be. And while I may not have any Scandinavian ancestry, I would like to think that, spiritually, I can still reach back and relate to a double-chromosomed warrior who was buried with their weapons, two horses, and many, many fine clothes, and even hundreds upon hundreds of years later, still causing chaos in the minds of the naysayers. Thank you so much for joining me. Our bonus story this week tells the tale of how a woman gave birth and was shown by DNA testing to not be the mother to her own children that she gave birth to. If that interests you at all, and you have a desire to show some support to the show, head on over to patreon.com slash rocketfox. I've added a special tier for you, my loves, and that is just a dollar a month for all bonuses, Fantastically Strange. As a reminder, we also have some fresh merch up in the shop. A color-changing mug, tea, tote, beanie, and a few other goodies. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a five-star rating, review, or sharing the podcast with someone you know who may also dig the unusual it means beyond the world to me to have your ear and be able to tell stories about topics I'm passionate about. I write, research, edit, produce, and do all of the things myself, and am so honored to be able to share it with you. To visit me online, check out fantasticallystrange.com, give a follow at fantasticallystrange on Instagram, or fantasticoddpod on Twitter. If you have any topics you'd like to see, any questions, comments, or just to say hi, 
email me at fantasticallystrange at rocketfox.com. All sources are linked and credited in the show info. The amazing logo illustration is by Constance Hermit, and the killer intro song, Hey Dorothy, is by Cruise Machine. Thank you so much again, and I can't wait to see you next time. Soon.